everybody, and welcome once again to another episode of the Face to Face Podcast. I'm your host, Calvin, and with me, as always, my good friend, Leif. How are you doing, Leif? Man, I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing all right, too. Ready to talk NBA with you. What you got for me this week? Man, we got we heading into the break. We got some exciting storylines taking place, and so... I mean, as usual, I can't wait till Thursday evening so we can talk more about this. So I say let's do it. I'm with you, man. And to get our week started off right, we had some trades. It's trade season. Trade deadline is going to be coming up in a couple weeks. But we had some starters, and there were some pretty good ones. First and foremost, I think we got to talk about Serge Ibaka going to Toronto in exchange for Terrence Ross and whatever ends up being the worst of the two picks between the Clippers and the Raptors pick that Usai Majiri had control of. What are your thoughts on this trade? I think it was a good trade, a very good trade. I think it had to happen. So seeing that it, it took place, um, I definitely think it put both teams in a better position. I know, you know we might have some talks on whether or not one these teams given up. I don't want to go too, too much further, but I think it was a good trade. What do you think? I like this trade a lot. This is basically the best move I think Toronto could have made after those Paul Millsap trade talks uh, withered away into nothingness uh, once Atlanta pulled him back off the market. This is basically the best they could have hoped for to get a player like Serge Ibaka who checks a lot of the same boxes Paul Millsap would have for them. And at the same time, they were able to get him for a much cheaper price than they would have had to give for Paul Millsap. I mean, to get Serge Ibaka only for Terrence Ross and the pick you like the least in this upcoming draft, that's that's got to be a win if you're Toronto, don't you agree? Yeah, especially since they really needed something at that four spot. And the fact that you have Ibaka who's coming off of I mean, he's not having a, a horrible year in Orlando, but he's in Orlando with a bunch of bigs already. So to see him now able to have a fresh start and hopefully he can pick it up on a defensive end, we already know what he can do with scoring. He's a he's able to stretch the court a little bit. So we know Toronto right now is in a position where they're looking for a player who can gel with that team. Abaka is definitely that type of player. And so you're, you're bringing on a player right now who has playoff experience, a player who could go in there and has a winning pedigree, I think it's a good fit. I'm really I'm really excited for this. Um, I know Ibaka has to be happy about this move, and I think Toronto is definitely a team to watch in the East right now. Right, and Toronto, as you mentioned, they needed something. They've gone into a bit of a tailspin the last couple weeks. A lot of that due to the fact DeMar DeRozan's been banged up, hasn't been able to play that much recently. But they went from the two seed, and the only one we thought could possibly challenge the Cavs for that one seed to now dropping all the way back down to four in the Eastern Conference. They're not far away, but for them to drop that far is a big dip. So they needed a move like this. Um, like you said, they needed a four. They do have Patrick Patterson, but now to be able to move Patterson to the bench and bring Ibaka into your starting lineup, that adds a lot to their depth. And Terrence Rowe, Ross, he's a good player for them, good shooter, um, but he was inconsistent, and you can give those minutes to Norman Powell 
and other guys on that on that bench and you're gonna get pretty much what you got from Ross if not more I think I know a lot of people perhaps think Powell is even better than Ross so they're they're in a good position right now um this is the type of player you want to put beside Valanciunas in the front court and then now with a player like Serge Ibaka you have the ability to go up against teams that perhaps make Valanciunas ineffective you can take Valanciunas off the court now and you could put Ibaka at the five because he has experience being able to do that he has the defensive chops to do that so you know you put him at the five put Patterson at the four you have a nice small ball lineup that still has some height and some defensive prowess in there as well. Right. I, and and I like what, what Toronto did there. They saw that they were sliding a little bit and they made them made a move. A lot of times teams try, tend to wait. And really the slide that they're having right now, like you mentioned, they went from the second seed to now they're fourth. Really it's, the Celtics and the Wizards, who are both nine and one in the last ten games, who are really just streaking right now, mm-hmm. but they realize that you know what, this is uh, it's a matter of the whole whole regular season. So yeah, they've had a a good last ten games, but the Raptors made this move, a move they had to make, and they're hoping that after the All Star break, they're going to be able to pick up. You're going to give, you know, Ibaka some time with the team, and you know they're going to go right back up to that. Hopefully that that second seed. And they're going to get a favorable matchup definitely in that first round. So it's definitely a good look for them. And in terms of Terrence Ross, he, he's a good player. I think he's a, he's a, he's a young player. He, he's athletic. He has ability. And I think a, a team like Orlando is a good team for him, another team with young players. And it'll give him a, a, a chance to grow. So it's a good trade all the way around. I, I can't be mad at it. So... I mean, I'm pretty. I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen in the second half with these with this trade. Me too. Uh, and the Raptors are already talking about perhaps even re-signing Ibaka in the off season. So this was not just a a rental in their eyes, which I guess made it even more okay to them to give up a young player like Terrence Ross in exchange. So this is very interesting. To see what happens now with the Raptors, they they made that move that people felt they needed to make, and now the question is, does Serge Ibaka put them in the conversation of contender in the East? With this move, are they looking more like someone that can give Cleveland a run for their money now? Uh, I definitely think they'll give him a run for the money when you consider the fact that Kevin Love right now is hurt. He's out for the next six weeks at least. Yeah. And now you're looking at Cleveland, who is going to depend a lot more on LeBron and Kyrie. We've seen the last game. LeBron's playing the same amount of minutes just to get their team to win. I, when you, When you consider the fact that now you're adding another body on Toronto, you're spreading the minutes around. You're spreading the load around. Whereas in Cleveland, the load is now being put on the the top two players in LeBron and Kyrie. They're, they're going to challenge. Now, granted, Love's going to come back. Love's going to have an opportunity to get back into playing shape. If everything pans out, he'll get back shortly before the end of the regular season. So he's going to be able to play himself back into shape. But 
by that time, you already have a, a team who's already gelling and getting even better. And while I'm not saying that Cleveland's not going to the NBA Finals, I'm still going to hold to that. Toronto will give them a run for their money if Cleveland takes their foot off the gas pedal. Yeah, we're definitely looking at perhaps the Cavs even being bumped out of that number one seed. Maybe not by Toronto, but you have Boston right on their heels. They're only a couple games behind them now. And as you mentioned, with this Kevin Love injury, he's going to miss the next six weeks at least, it seems, after he got his knee scoped, which doesn't sound fun. And then there's going to have to be a bit of a rehab period where he gets himself back into game shape, gets his timing back, the team gets their rhythm with him again. So optimistically, the Cavs are going to want to bring him in at least a few weeks before the playoffs so they can get all that in order. But I have to point out, another year Kevin Love is on the Cavs and another year that he's hurt. Is Kevin Love damaged goods at this point? Nah, you can't say that. I, I, I can't say that. I mean, do you think he's damaged goods? I don't know. I'm honestly I honestly don't know. He didn't have the best record of health in Minnesota either. Some of it was some different things. Like he had the hand injury before and I don't know one year here in in Cleveland was when he got his shoulder separated in the playoffs and that was a fluke. But at the same time, he has had several different injuries on this same knee. Maybe nothing as serious as a torn ACL or anything like that, but there have been a couple of different times where he's missed games in his career because of the same knee. So it, it is a little alarming, to be honest. It is. And if I think about it, if Kevin Love, if this were the playoffs, would... Kevin Love have opted for that surgery right now. He might have. If it's the playoffs, we don't know how bad his knee was. Yeah, I mean, it almost seemed like it came out of nowhere. We know he was hobbled up a little bit. It just seemed like it came out of nowhere. I'm not gonna say he's damaged goods. The hand was one thing. The the arm that like you said that was a fluke. So you're really looking at he had one year, he missed most of the year in, in Minnesota, and then you have this knee injury here. I'm not going to call him damaged goods. He is getting older. What he is had he, the bad back, too. He had the bad, bad back, too, since he's been in Cleveland as well. Oh, yeah, he's had the bad back. I forgot about that. He's played. He's done his job. And in Cleveland, he's been relatively healthy outside of that, that you know, arm tug. Other than that, he's been been healthy, so I'm not ready to call him damaged or injury-prone yet. Not yet. All right, well, it is an interesting conversation, especially when he's only in, I believe, year two of that five-year max contract he signed with Cleveland. And this was by far his best season so far as a Cavalier. and But now he's going to miss some significant time. And it does put back in in scope for everyone to discuss is LeBron's playing time. Because part of the whole reason or the rationale people made for LeBron coming to this Cleveland team was Miami was old. 
Miami had run his course. He needed to move on to a younger team so he could have less of a load. And if anything, it's been just the opposite during his three years back in Cleveland. And now he's going to have to be asked to do even more. And LeBron has made some interesting quotes about it. He said, I'll rest when I retire. And, you know, somebody asked him, do you feel like you have to step up now that love is out? And LeBron basically said, I've never stepped down. So he has his he has his ego up right now. He 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 has those remarks to kind of breathe that confidence back into the team. But he is 32, going on 33. He is someone who's played a lot of minutes, and this is going to be another second half where he's going to be asked to log heavy minutes once again. I have to imagine at some point there's going to be some type of wear and tear on him. I mean, maybe not. Maybe he is just the Adonis that everyone thinks he is and he'll never break down. But something has to give at some point in my in my mind. What about you? I agree. Something has to break down. He, I mean, he's a physical specimen. Um, when you consider his so- size and what he's doing, and the fact that he stayed relatively healthy, it's, it's something to behold. But here's something that I've noticed and something that I've looked at. A few weeks ago, LeBron was complaining that they need a playmaker, they need somebody else. That was the headlines. Mm-hmm. Kevin Love goes down, and now he's like, you know what? You no, know, we all got to step up. What changed? I mean, I would think now you would continue that even more that we need someone for the next few weeks. His 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 attitudes changed. What what has happened to that? I don't want to call him whiny, but I don't want to do that. But. What happened to that person who seemed so concerned with getting a playmaker a few weeks ago to now where he feels that this team can pick up the slack? It's a good question. I I really can't put my finger on it per se. I do think that LeBron and this team kind of feeds off of the pressure. You know, these things kind of galvanize them. You know, two years ago they went to the finals, and it was just LeBron and the reserves, and they gave the Warriors a good run. You know, you know they took them farther than anyone thought. And last year, no one expected the Cavs to beat the Warriors, and that kind of galvanized them again. And they fed off of that. They liked that drama. They feed off that drama, and I think this is more. This is more fuel for that engine now now LeBron is saying well maybe he's looking at like here's my MVP case now here's here's when I come and I get that MVP trophy back from Steph Curry here's when I make that valiant run and I become this hero again in the media with the fans this is this is how, how I ride my white horse to another championship and this is how I get my teammates to pick up the slack now that somebody significant from the roster has has got injured these are the things i kind of see maybe his reasoning but but i don't know for sure you know yeah i don't know i mean mvp he don't need to worry about that this year that's pretty much locked up for russ westbrook 
maybe he's just trying to you know chisel out his face in Mount Rushmore. Definitely, he definitely is. Um, I don't think it's exactly wrapped up for Russell Westbrook in terms of MVP. I think he's done a great job, and I think he should be the MVP, but I think if you're talking about the people who are going to actually vote for this, that being the media, the writers, I don't think Westbrook is the apple of their eye. I, I think a lot of people look at the turnovers. They look at the amount of shots he puts up. They look at his percentages. They look at his efficiency numbers, and, and they don't like it. And, yeah, they re- they acknowledge that he has to do all those things just for the team to stay afloat. But with so many more advanced, analytically inclined riders in today's, in today's basketball, those efficiency numbers those efficiency numbers really stand out to people. And I think those are going to be things against Westbrook at the end of the day. So if I'm being honest, while I don't agree with it, I do think the MVP is up for grabs. I think Harden still has a chance at it. I think even Durant has a chance at it, even though you he might lose votes because Curry has stepped his game up too, so they might cancel each other out. But, you know, you have Harden, you have LeBron, you have KD, you have Kawhi. There's more options than maybe it seems at first glance for this MVP race. And we haven't even talked about Mr. Fourth Quarter, Isaiah Thomas, you know? We haven't spoken about him. So those are all interesting names. And I think this is that's going to be one of the interesting conversations in the second half. Now, as all these teams and these, these star players start angling for pole position in the playoffs, we're going to start seeing more of their best. There's going to be less days off. There's going to be more effort to try and get the best record possible for seeding and things like that. So we're going to start getting everyone's best at the same time. And that's going to be an interesting, that's going to be an interesting thing. I'm looking forward to it, definitely. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I look forward to it. I still think the eye test, sometimes people might look too much into it. And and I think when it comes to like the MVP, they might say, all right, let's look at a Harden. Let's look at a LeBron and overcomplicate the matter. But let's not overcomplicate the matter. Just give it to Westbrook. Let's move on. No one's going to be mad at that. I think you create more of a conversation if you give it to somebody else. Now, granted, there are people out there who are having a good year. you got Harden who's having a great year. You didn't mention Anthony Davis. By the way, there's an awesome article there on the sidelinereporter.com that talks about mm-hmm. um, talks about Anthony Davis, someone we need to take a look at who's having an amazing year. And he's another one who could also rightly so, be mentioned as an MVP candidate if the Pelicans make the playoffs. So, all things to consider, but I still consider a slam dunk, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Right, and uh, I mentioned uh, Isaiah Thomas, and we mentioned this, the Celtics a little earlier, how they're, they're right on the heels of the Cavs. They're only two games back right now for that number one seed. And when the Serge Ibaka trade went through, Later that day, it started to come out that the Celtics had a chance at getting Serge Ibaka, but the deal was held up on 
Danny Ainge not wanting to include Terry Rogier in the deal. Now, I, I got to ask you, Leif, do you think that was a good move by Danny Ainge, or did they let one slip away here? Oh, they let one slip away. Terry Rozier, to me, is not a, a player that's going to keep me from getting a Baca, a former All-Star, a player who's been to the NBA Finals, a player, a defensive juggernaut. That That's not a player who's going to keep me from getting him. So, and, and what was the whole deal? Did they say what the whole deal was going to include? It was similar to what the Raptors were giving them. Except uh, I think they were giving them one of their worst of the first-round picks that they have this year. And it was going to also include Terry Rozier. Now, just to play on the other side of it, now, the Raptors, they seem like they're going to they're gonna put up the money and, and try to re-sign Ibaka. But perhaps the Celtics didn't have any interest in re-signing him. Maybe they only saw him as a rental. In, in that, when you look at it through that prism... Does that justify not making that trade? Um, no. Yeah. I think I, right now they're in a position where they can battle for the East. And so you're looking for an opportunity to win the East. To You're only a, a couple of games back from the Cavs right now. You have an opportunity. So take advantage. This is an opportunity to get yourself to that position. And... Rozier is not a player who is going to have any significant impact in your playoff aspirations. Plus, these picks that you've you've had, you saw what you did last year. You had several picks in the first round, and so far, none of those players have panned out. And granted, it wasn't a strong draft, but when you have an established player, you have to take advantage. And so, I don't agree with their stance. I I, I would have absolutely made the trade, no questions asked, would not have looked back on it at all. So you, you may not want you may not have wanted to keep him fun, but you know what? A player definitely looks better when he's helping you get closer to getting that ring. And they would have looked back and said, well we may have to up some money for him. Yeah. Yeah I I agree. I think even if Ibaka was a rental to you to to hold on to Rogier, I think, is kind of short-sighted. Even though that seems counterintuitive because you're keeping the young player versus the older player. I just think that the time to strike is now. You have a diminished Cavs team. You you have yourselves on the role, the best role you've been on all season. Isaiah Thomas is just playing out of his mind. But at the same time, you need defensive reinforcements. You need somebody that can help take some of that load off of Horford on the defensive side and in the front court. You don't have that right now on your roster. You don't. You can't really say, well, we don't want to break up our chemistry because the Terry Rozier going out the door and bringing Serge Ibaka in, I don't think that hurts your chemistry, especially when you're still keeping all of your core players you don't have to give up Bradley. You don't have to give up Jay Crowder. You don't have to give up even Marcus Smart. You just you're just giving up. You're giving up some young players, yeah. But you're you're not even giving up Jalen Brown, who you just drafted. You you're keeping so much of 
what you're looking forward to to have sustained success and then you're bringing in this piece that can make it all fit together for this year and when you have that opportunity i think you always have to take it you can't say well you know we're we're probably not going to beat the Cavs this year so why why burn the future to to try and win now when you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring you look at kevin love is out for the next six weeks we don't know what kind of complications he can have during his rehab we don't know if he's going to come back in the time amount that they gave we don't know if he tries to come back earlier and then re-injures his knee we, we we don't want any of that to happen to kevin love but at the same time you you don't know you 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 can't sit there as the second seed in the east and not do anything to get better the Cavs have been the f- number one team in the east for three years running now and every year they make a move to improve they and sometimes they make several moves to improve right right that first year they were already the number one seed in the east and what they do they get shumpert they get jr smith they get mozgov and it, be, and it turned out to be all pieces they needed to make up for that loss of Kevin Love and still make it to the finals. That The loss of Love and Kyrie Irving, as a matter of fact. You know, then last year, they make re, they get more reinforcements. They get Channing Frye. They make a couple other moves. This year, again, they get Kyle Korver. There's, you know, LeBron's still asking for more moves, although he hasn't lately. And you're going to have to imagine that they're going to do something um, with that roster spot that they got now for um, getting rid of Chris Anderson, they're not just going to sit with an empty roster spot. They're going to use it. They're going to add somebody to their team at some point this season. Maybe they're waiting for, to see who gets bought out in early March. But this is a team that's always looking to get better. They're never satisfied. And if you're if you're a team in the East that can see them you're close enough to see them there you're right behind them you have to make those moves too Serge Ibaka is he a superstar no but does he put does he put somebody in the front court that helps Horford not have to do everything on defense yes does he is he someone that you could even play as a stretch five if you want to do a, a really modern lineup yes does he play good defense yes he checks off all those boxes is he someone that you could even put on on LeBron for for possessions. Yes, he is. Take some of that load off of Jay Crowder. These are all things that he he can do. And these are all going to be things that he will do for Toronto and puts Toronto in a much better position to succeed now. So I agree. I think Celtics really blew it if if they could have gotten him, but but passed. Yeah, they have to do it. They have to they have to take advantage of an opportunity like that. So it's disappointing for sure. It it is. And uh you know it, it it opens up the question about about Danny Ainge because Danny Ainge has acquired a litany of assets. He has draft picks. He has all of these young players, and every summer, every trade deadline for the last two or three years now, everyone keeps talking about how the Celtics are the ideal team to make this trade for player X or for player Y, and time and time again they don't end up getting that player for one reason or another. There was supposedly a draft day deal to get Jimmy Butler, but they didn't pull the trigger on that. There was a chance to get Serge Ibaka. They didn't do that. And so there, there becomes a certain point where isn't Danny just being gun-shy at this point? 
he is. He's being stubborn. He he he's a guy who feels that he can outsmart the other GMs. And so when a trade is handed to him that logistically makes sense, I think he's looking at it and saying, how can I dissect this? You know what? I'm too good to accept this trade. There has to be something better out there. And granted, he got Isaiah Thomas for nothing, really. So maybe he's looking at it like, wow, I can make a trade like that. Mm-hmm. But, but in all honesty, you ha- he has to make a trade. He has to realize that he has all these assets, all these draft picks, these these players on the team. Use them to make a deal. Your team is in a position where you're right on the cusp of dethroning the cast, but mm-hmm. they won't get there if you're just going to rely on your pride, rely on the fact that your team right now is winning. And granted, it's not like they're blowing teams out. No, yeah. these are close games. These are close games, and it's taking the heroic effort of Isaiah Thomas in the fourth quarter. That's what is taking your team to win games. But that is not playoff basketball. That's not championship basketball. That's regular season basketball. Mm-hmm. So he either is going to have to take a step back and and use this next week to work out some some trades to get some players on your team. You don't need some of these players you have. You go, Linick, he's good, but you don't need him. You have Rozier. You don't hold a trade up for a player, for Ibaka, when you have, when you don't want to trade Rozier. You have to make those deals. So I'm hoping – I like the Celtics. I really do. I, 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 I do – I respect LeBron. I, I, I like what the Cavs did last year. But I like the underdog story. And the Celtics, to me, is a good story. The Celtics, the Raptors, those are teams I want to see overcome. So anything that they can do to make moves to challenge Cavs, I want it to be done. Right. I agree with you. I think right now Danny Ainge is a victim of his own success. He made some – he got some really great trades, like you said. He got Isaiah Thomas for practically nothing just you know got involved in a in a three team four team trade ended up getting Isaiah Thomas in his lap he got a thousand draft picks from the Brooklyn Nets for Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett he got Kevin Garnett handed to him on a silver platter by Kevin McHale you know back in 08 so he gets deals like that and that's how he wants every deal to be but there's a difference between when you're rebuilding and you take a flyer on someone or you have the cap cap space so you're willing to take on a contract like he did with Isaiah Thomas, then when you're a team that's in the forefront and trying to be a contender and now you're making moves, teams know that you're trying to win. So they're going to ask you for a little bit more than when you were, you know, at the bottom or a lottery team. You know, those things change when, when you're, when you're, when your record goes to the plus side, teams are going to ask more of you because they know you're that much closer and they know that you can taste it. And sometimes you just got to pay it up. You got to pay that price for the prospect that it offers you. And there's still time. I don't know which big man they're going to be able to get now because they missed out on Ibaka. And then another trade that happened was that between the Denver Nuggets and the Portland Trailblazers, the Nuggets sent... Yosef Nurkic and their first round pick to the Portland Trailblazers for Mason Plumlee and a second round pick. And just to talk a little bit more about Boston again, 
either one of those guys, I know Boston fans would have loved to have right now, especially since they both can play the five. I know a lot of fans feel like Horford needs to drop back into the four, that, that he, that's what he's better suited for. Nurkic would have definitely helped with that. Plumlee would have definitely helped with that. But this is an interesting trade on its own ranks. So let, let me know, what did you think of this trade between the Blazers and the Nuggets? I think it's the it's different. Um, when I think about that trade, I'm really thinking that the Blazers are planning for next season. Would you agree with that? I definitely agree with that. You want to know why I agree with that? Because after that trade, they na- they now have three first round picks in this upcoming draft. They have their own. They have Cleveland's first-round pick, and they have Memphis's first-round pick, which came by way of the Nuggets in this last trade. So with all those picks, they're either looking to do a quick rebuild and get a bunch of young talent in a very good draft, or they're hoping to perhaps package those picks into a player that's looking to get out of his current situation that can help them be better for next season. Um, as far as the Nuggets end of it, I love the trade for them. Nurkic, he really didn't have a place on the team anymore. They tried to play him and Jokic together earlier in the season, and it just was not working out. Jokic and Fareed, that is a better partnership, but at the same time, it, it, it doesn't check the box of what you need to really compete in the West. I think Mason Plumlee adds that. You you can pick who's the four, who's the five between him and Jokic. But in in these two guys, you have a player in, in Plumlee who he's going to occupy the paint. He's, he's going to go get rebounds. He's going to block shots. He's going he's gonna to finish strong. He's going to do all the th- He's going to play above the rim. All the things that Jokic doesn't really do, that's not the type of player he is. Well, Jokic can stretch the floor, run the offense. And they're both great passers. I, I think between the both of them, they average around seven and a half assists this season. So, I mean, how many teams can say they have big men who get who generate that much offense for their team? You don't. And right now they're a game and a half, I think, above the Kings for that eighth seed. And I think this is a good move to help solidify their chances to make the playoffs. They've been playing really well lately. Jokic is just a monster. I love everything about that guy's game. And this is also Denver saying, you know what? Jokic is our guy. Nurkic, he's still young, but we're going to go we're going to go with Jokic. He he is who we're hitching our wagon to. And and I think this trade signified that, you know, Nurkic they drafted 3 years ago, Jokic they drafted, you know, 2 years ago. So they're both very young guys. But they made a decision. They knew they couldn't keep both of them, and they went with Jokic. And they made, honestly, the the, the easy choice there. But in exchange, they also put a, be- a player that will partner better with Jokic, I think, in the long run. Right. I agree. So Portland, perhaps they're looking to the future. Denver is trying to win, for na- win right now. But they're also doing it with young guys. Mason Plumlee is not on his way out. He's only 26. He just really started blossoming into a more of a complete player 
this year in Portland. So we'll have to see if this that'll be enough for them to uh, hold on to the A seed. Yeah, and and when you think about it, what what I feel Portland is doing is smart. Right now, you know, you're not competing with the Golden State, the the Rockets, the Clippers. Well, well, kind of the Clippers. We'll see. You're not competing with those teams right now, and you can try to fight for the eighth position. But really, you want to be fighting, getting yourself some picks in this loaded draft and put yourself in a position to really go for it next year. Mm-hmm. So I'm all for it. I think what Portland's doing is smart. You're not tanking. You're still remaining competitive, but you're just securing your future. Yeah, ex- exactly. It's good moves. Another team that's vying for that eight seed in the West is the Sacramento Kings, and whenever you talk Kings, you're talking about DeMarcus, a.k.a. Boogie Cousins, and there's there's been some talk about Boogie in the last couple of days, hasn't there, Leif? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Cousins and his, yeah, he, he's definitely having some issues right now. What do you say? <laughs> well, it's almost like you can't talk about Cousins without talking about some kind of controversy now. And, you know, he's he's a hothead. I mean, that's that's the way he plays. Um, in some ways, you want him to stay that, that way because that's also part of what gets the best out of him when he's able to channel it. The problem right now is he, he's just not able to channel it properly in a lot of these games. I mean, pushing an assistant coach on another team, that's never a good idea. It's never a good look. The The technicals keep mounting up, and, and at this point, he, he's got a target on his back. I, I don't think it's out of line to say that referees are at a point where they're not going to take much from him. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, they're not taking much from him. It's, he's one of those players where his reputation is is preceding him. People are looking at him and they any kind of action that he does, he's not going to get the benefit of the doubt. And right now he can't be himself. And that's a problem. So you you have to change the con- the, the conception. He's he almost has that Rasheed Wallace syndrome. You remember that back in the day? Yeah. Rasheed Wallace, he he wouldn't have to say anything. He could just turn around the wrong way and they're gonna call a tech on him. So that's where he's entering a player of his stature and a player who can who has the ability he has he shouldn't be that way but here he is and everything he's doing now is going to be like under a microscope yeah and i you know what at this point i think it's kind of warranted it's on cousins now to prove that he can be a mature responsible basketball player that he can be a professional on the court we love the passion we love the fight we love the unwillingness to back down but on this at the same time your team needs more than that it's amazing that the numbers he's putting up this this season you know he's got like 28 points per game almost 11 rebounds a game five assists a game he's making almost two threes per game i mean you name it he's doing it over averaging over both 
over a steal, averaging over a block. But at the same time, he gets into foul trouble. He's he's at almost four game four fouls per game on average. He loses his temper, and if he's not getting teed, he he makes bad plays. He he'll get caught with turnovers unnecessarily. He he'll lose his head at times. And while you have all of the tools for a foundational player, you, you you're not getting the leadership you need with behavior like that. That at least that's my opinion. You could disagree if you want. It's okay. I'll disagree, but I I I, I hear what you're saying, but I mean he's he's, he's got to channel it. I mean, we saw this, like you said, Rashid Wallace. But the main difference is, which is what I'll give him credit for, is it's on ownership, it's on the front office to bring in the leadership he needs so that he can become the player he's supposed to be, both on and off the court. And they have not done that. The The veterans they have brought in are Rajon Rondo and Rudy Gay. Rudy Gay can't stand being another minute in Sacramento. And Rajon Rondo calls out his teammates for not being good teammates, not being good leaders. But then the week before that says he doesn't even remember three guys on the team he played for the year before, which was the Sacramento Kings. And these are the type of guys that they bring in to be veterans on this team. So I can understand why he has not progressed in his maturity on the court. Because you haven't put leaders to show him how to do that. But at the same time, he's 26 now. He's been in the league. This is his seventh season. I don't know how much longer we're supposed to wait for everything to click either. We can't. Well, we're not waiting for it to click. You said it's his seventh year in a season. And we're not going to say all of a sudden when he turns 30, all of a sudden everything is going to make sense. What is it going to take for him, the, conception, the perception of him to change? I don't know. What is it going to take for him to possibly channel some of those feelings? If you ask me, I think it's going to be winning. Mm-hmm. If, if they're winning, I mean, winning change, fixes all, doesn't it? So yeah. maybe, maybe if the Kings wanted to say, well, what can we do to help Cousins um, channel some of this anger and animosity and the perception that he has – Maybe what the Kings can do is put a winning product around him. And then maybe you'll start to see that, wait, you know what? This is not this guy is not so bad. He's just frustrated going in, knowing that there is a 75% chance that they're going to lose that game that night. So maybe we laugh, but it's true. We know that when they go against some of these teams, you know, they're hoping for an off night with some of these teams. And they're playing decent right now. They're not playing horrible. You know, so maybe right now he's saying, you know what, let me go into the season knowing that we have a chance to make the playoffs, and then maybe I'll feel better. Who right. knows? Yeah, like you said, winning cures a lot of things. I mean, look at Draymond Green. Draymond's a hothead. Draymond does a lot of things underhanded, but he plays for a team with a, like, 90% win outcome so a lot of stuff he kind of gets away with you know if 
Cousins was on the Warriors, and the Warriors were destroying everybody. Maybe he doesn't get all these texts. Maybe he doesn't, you know, get um, the target on his back. Maybe he gets more of the benefit of the doubt. Maybe we're not talking about him being such a hothead. But the fact is, he he's not on the Warriors. He's he's on the Kings, and the Kings haven't done anything for a very long time. And that's where we are with them. And it's unfortunate, but those are the breaks. Yeah, I agree. So, I know you wanted to talk a little bit more about Draymond. So, so give give me your give me your your Draymond Green take. Draymond actually is kind of going in the same boat as Cousins. Would you agree? In what sense? He's a loose cannon. Well, and yes. and I think the only and I, yeah, and I think the only difference between him and Cousins is Cousins is, doesn't kick people. Well, yeah, true, true. Cousins doesn't hit kick people. You know, <laughs> he might punch somebody, but he's yeah. not gonna. Yeah, he's not gonna. He's not gonna kick someone. Um, but winning and having a, a solid team around him, I think that might be the only things that kind of keeps him together. I think if Draymond was in that same position that Cousins is in right now, I mean, granted, I'm, this might hurt some people's feelings. Um, Draymond is not that good of a player anyway, so even if he was in that position, he'd probably be on the bench. But besides that... He he will be the same way. He'll he'll be frustrated. He'll pick up a bunch of technical fouls. I mean, he's doing that right now on a winning team. So imagine the team started losing. Yeah, I think Draymond is is in the same boat, except we're a little more forgiving of Draymond than we are of Cousins. Oh yeah, people are very forgiving of Draymond. I mean, I guess when you can get a triple double without scoring points, that kind of helps. But. There's been a lot of there's a there's been a lot of antics with Draymond this year too, and not just with the opposition or the technicals. There's been a lot of antics even with his teammates too, on and off the court. You see him and Durant getting into it on the bench and timeouts. He he is definitely a loose cannon, um, and I keep wondering if there's gonna be a point where where you know. That fuse just is gonna just light at the wrong time, and it's gonna mess up that team in a bad way. But I don't know. Yeah. Now, what do you think of Jam- some of Draymond's comments that he made this week? Which ones? He made a lot of comments. Man, that's true. He said a lot of things this week. Oh man, let's focus. We don't talk to talk about it too much. But what about what he said about Dolan about? being a slave master and knowing when to play for the next. Do you agree with those statements? Oh, man. The slave master. Uh, that's, even, that's, that's rough. I don't even know. even compared he, him to Donald Sterling, too. You know, maybe, maybe he knows some stuff we don't know. I don't know. But to go to, go to that level, I think that's rough even for Dolan. I wouldn't. I don't think of Dolan as someone like that. I don't. I never thought of Dolan in the same light as Donald Sterling. I just seen Dolan more as like an an inept owner, just someone who's just been living off 
dad's success, you know, and his decisions have shown that. But I also don't think Dolan did himself any favors by, you know, doing whatever it took to get Latrell Sprewell to sit next to him at courtside a couple days after the Charles Oakley situation. Yeah. <laughs> because you got you got Draymond Green saying it's a slave mentality on slave mentality slave owner mentality rather. And then James Dolan just did he he basically did the the actual act of saying but some of my best friends are black. Yeah. You know? You know- you know he got paid for that too. Who Sprewell? He had to. Of course he did. Of there's no way that he's just gonna sit down with James. Dolan. When does Latrell Sprewell even go to Nick games? Exactly. He was like, "I'm happy to be back." You aren't happy to be back. You're happy because you're broke and you got a paycheck, and you were hoping that at halftime you got the second half of that that paycheck so that you can watch the rest of the game. But you know he. You know he got paid for that. And when you looked at him, he looked very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I didn't notice it, but Larry Johnson was there too. He looked uncomfortable too. Yeah. Larry Johnson's actually on the staff. He's and, he's actually on the Knicks staff too. You know he wanted to be there. <laughs> yeah. It, it's it's a very I know it's a very uh odd situation for a lot of those guys, especially uh the ex players. Like Larry Johnson, Sprewell. But, you know, those guys also didn't play with Oakley. He was already on the Raptors by then. So, yeah, uh, Draymond, he's always good for a quote, right? You know, he's between whether he's saying stuff like that or he's wearing cupcake shirts after the OKC game in OKC colors. He's a trip, man. He's a trip. He is. He's a character, but, I mean, we need some characters in the NBA, don't we? Oh, yeah. Characters are always good. But, you know, sometimes you can have characters like a Russell Westbrook, and then sometimes you can have characters like a Matt Barnes. And I think Draymond's kind of more on the Matt Barnes spectrum of things. But, you know, who else got a character? Did you see Joel Embiid at that Meek Mill concert? Oh, man. Everybody saw Joel Embiid. He was on the stage, man. He was dancing it up, feeling good, not acting like he just like missed the last five games with with DMPs. Yeah, and and wait, and all of a sudden we find out that he has a partially torn meniscus in his knee. Yeah. Hmm. Which was already torn when he went out and danced. Oh yeah, he seemed to be moving pretty well, didn't he? Yeah. So much for the bone bruise he had, huh? Yeah, so that is something uh, they've been taking a lot of heat for. The Sixers organization, Brian Colangelo, they've all been kind of put under the microscope on that. Some are even suggesting that they let him play through it, knowing what it was. And then other people are just upset at them for not catching that. Like they should have. I mean, you rest him just because you feel like it. You take all these precautions. So how do you miss that, right? How do you miss that? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. 
do you think he plays again this season, Joel Embiid? Yeah, I think he plays. Okay. Um, he's already said that he's talked to Sixers, um, the, the the medical staff, and they've told him that after the All Star break, shortly thereafter, he'll play, and that he's still going to be limited with back to backs. But you know, what's like twenty something games left for the rest of the season, so give or take, yeah. Yeah, so at least hopefully we we'll get him in at least half of those. I'm that's what I'm saying. At least half of those. I think he's played about 30 games so far this season. So if you say he plays another 13, he'll get around 43 games this season. I think at the beginning of the season, you would have took that. Yeah, you have to take it. You know, now after seeing him play, you're disappointed that he's only going to have to have played that much in this in the season. But, you know, in September... You would have you would have been ecstatic to hear that. So you know we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, if this was last year's front office, he's probably shut down for the rest of the season, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, last yeah, oh absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, and there is some incentive for them to sit him down now too. You know they're. With a twenty-one thirty-five, they're only I think they're the fifth or sixth worst record right now in the league. You know they could sit him down and get get into that that top three range. It would it would help them in two aspects. One, it would increase their chances of getting another top three pick, and it would also heighten the chances that the Lakers don't get a top three pick because they'll be bumping them out of that top three with their own with their own uh, tanking mediocrity, as it were. Oh, yeah. But now what would you do with Simmons? Would you tell Simmons not to come out just, just, just to stay on the sidelines? Well, they're already doing that. He was supposed to be in five-on-fives uh, this week or the or after the All-Star game, and, and now they're saying that they have to they have to take it slower and be more cautious with him. So, yeah, that's annoying. We'll, we'll see. We'll see if Simmons even plays this year. I think, I think it's a good chance we won't see him this year. At you know the beginning of the season, no one would have said that because we said, "Oh no, you know this is a new front office. They're not. They're not going to be like Hinky." But we'll see. I, I think. I think there are a lot of reasons they could. They could keep Simmons out and maybe even uh, shut down Embiid for the year as I mentioned there's draft implications not just for their own draft pick but you know if this were Hinky he would have definitely said what's the point of keeping these guys playing when I can increase the chances of my own pick being number one or top three and I can make sure that the Lakers don't get a top three pick so that it falls to me as well, you know. Right. So, so then let me ask you this. So now, considering that we're gonna sit Ben Simmons, let's say, and hypothetically we're going to not play Joel Embiid. So we don't know what we're getting from Simmons yet. We don't know how Simmons plays with Embiid yet. Mm-hmm. You go into the draft, and what if you don't like I say you don't know what Simmons is gonna give you? What if you're what if you're now going into the draft looking at 
a potential point guard? I think you have to look at these point guards regardless. Hmm. If if I have a chance to get Markel Fultz or Lonzo Ball or right. Malik Monk or any of these guys, I'm not going to pass on that because I want to try Ben Simmons at point guard. Okay, so the whole Ben Simmons point guard thing, is that a Brett Brown thing or is that a front office thing? I think that is a front office thing because I cannot see Brett Brown wanting to do that unless he had okay from the front office. Remember, this is one of these these uh these new more modern front offices where the coach is basically supposed to be an extension of the the front office. Okay. I agree. I, I agree with you 100%. So, I think you have to make that move. And the only reason I say that is because they've done this in the past when they got Noel. They didn't know what Noel was. They head to the next season. They got Embiid. Mm-hmm. And then they did it again with Okafor. What I don't want to happen and see what happens is they do the same pattern where you don't know what you have and then you get a player and find that you have the same type of player that you already have, but except he's injured. So mm-hmm. hopefully they don't fall into that same mistake. But now the other question is, if MB comes and only gives you 30, let's say, 40, 45 games this year. Is he still the rookie of the year? It's it's going to be tough because that's not a lot of games. It's only half the season. At the same time, he had the most impact of any rookie this year. It's still even is it's still even weird to call him a rookie. When what did he miss like the first two seasons after he was drafted? Right. So he's this is his third year since he was drafted, and and he's a rookie now. So even in that sense, it's kind of weird. But I know technically he is because he never played a game before this season. Uh, if it's not him, I'm trying to think of who it it, it would be. Um, you know, Malcolm Brogdon. Has a case. Mm. Come on, say it. Dario Sarich. Nah, man. Sarich. Come on, man. He's had a good month. He's done good lately. I wouldn't say he's put together a strong season overall, though. When we look at who's left, there really isn't someone who's really strong after Embiid. Right now we're looking at, okay, after Embiid we're looking at whoever is the best of the rest, really. And I think Sarge is not bad. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you, you, you have a point. I mean... I know I have a point. This year's draft class really hasn't impressed. When you're you're looking at maybe Jamal Murray or Buddy yeah. Hield. Uh-uh. Yeah. Uh-uh. Yeah. Brandon Ingram has not had a strong season this year. Nope. The potential's still there, but production 
hasn't really been where you would have thought it, it would be. Um, yeah, but I, I, I still think you're probably looking at Malcolm Brogdon over Saric if you have to choose between uh, the limited amount of rookies that are available. They're going to give it to Embiid. Let's, let's stop playing around. They're going to give it to Embiid. If Embiid doesn't play for the rest of the season, they're still going to give it to Embiid. <laughs> it, it's true. They, they have no choice. Who else are they going to give it to? I know. I know. I know. Even though they said, I know I looked this up, um, the fewest games a person has played to win Rookie of the Year was 50. And that was Patrick Ewing in 85. Mm-hmm. What, that, was, that, that was the fewest games. Well, in Jamal Murray, and I mean, if you want to do this, even Jalen Brown, you're looking at you're looking at rookies contributing to playoff teams. The uh, Sabonis, but I mean, none of these guys' numbers are good. None of these guys are good. None of these, I'm pretty sure some of these guys, if they won Rookie of the Year, you're gonna have. Half the NBA fans running to Google to look them up to find out who this person really is. Right, right. So it's going to be Embiid, and we're going to see him again dancing at another Meek Mill concert. Probably, probably. Oh, man. So the tank is on for a lot of these teams. We'll see who ends up winning the prize of number one pick. We'll see if Embiid plays another game this season. We'll see if Ben Simmons ever makes his debut. We'll we'll see if Lave can stop naming anyone that's not on the Sixers ro- roster for Rookie of the Year. <laughs> There's a lot to see. There's a lot to see. I mean, I thought you were going to throw out Timothy Lawahu as well. Oh, please. <laughs> if I did that, kick me off. You got it. We'll do, because that would have been a stretch. We'll, we'll see what happens in see what happens in a few weeks. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he's going to put put together a couple of double-digit scoring games, and he, you're going to throw his name in the ring, too. We'll see. <laughs> well, he only has to give you 30 good games, apparently. Apparently. I mean, it's not taking much this year. Oh, it's it's a it's a bad rookie class, and it's weird because I feel like there's so there's I feel like there's talent here. It's just that either the talent is not getting the minutes, or they're still so raw they just are not ready to put the numbers they will later on. You know, like like Ingram. Ingram he still has all the tools, but you know. He can't stand up against a, a cool breeze in the springtime. Don Maker, everyone's talking up Don Maker like he's going to be really good, but he only gets a couple minutes a game when he does play, and right now they're just working on him in practice more until he's ready to go. Yeah, everything you hear about Don Maker is like, okay, he's in practice, he's, he's gaining weight, mm-hmm. he's lifting, he's... he's He's the Greek freak. He's he's another freak part two, and it's like okay, okay, we're not seeing him. So yeah, this the rookie class is being led by a guy who really isn't a rookie. 
Yeah, I mean Juan Hernan Gomez, he got that one that one game in between the Plumlee Nurkic trade, and he put up twenty seven and ten. Maybe if he got more time, he he'd put up some some bigger numbers. And the rest are just kind of raw still, you know. We'll see. Dejounte Murray, he's turning into a, a, a solid player, but you know he's one of those Spurs products, so they're gonna they're gonna bring him along over the next two or three years, and and then he'll blow up. That's how they do with those guys. So that's and it's just like down the line, down the line. That's that's how all of these guys are. You know, they're either raw or they just. They were never going to be more than a role player anyway, so this is this is where we have right now this year. Well, here we are. That was a bummer. Now, what a way to what a way to end the episode. I'll just on such a dour note. Yeah, we can't we can't end on that. We can't we 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 got to talk something. Come on, give it to me. Who? Who are you looking for to do work in the celebrity game? Come on, let's let's pick up the energy here. <laughs> All right, who we got? I'm surprised Obama didn't want to do it. Yeah, right. That'll be that'll be fun. Who we got in a celebrity All Star game? I don't even know right now. We're gonna look it up. Let's look it up. For, for... I mean, okay, Kevin Hart's gonna win. Okay. Is he playing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. You know who I'm gonna say is gonna is gonna do work? The guy that plays that plays uh Harrison Wells on the Flash. I think he's gonna do work. Tom Cavanaugh, that's his name. He look he was in it last year, wasn't he? I think I think he was. He looked good. Yeah, he can play. You know, Mark Cuban's out there. You know, this guy's I think uh Michael B. Jordan's gonna be out there, but my my MVP is Tom Cavanaugh. I think he's gonna do work. All right, so now you're gonna force me to have to think about who's gonna be on this team. <laughs> oh man, let's see who's on this team. Oh well, maybe a little Romeo. He's in it every year. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, don't call him little Romeo. Call him I, Romeo Miller. Romeo Miller. He actually goes out there and plays for real. It's like he's trying to get an NBA contract or something. Oh, you know he is, especially now that it's uh, he's not playing for USC anymore. You know this is gonna this is gonna be a, a a chance for him. Like you know, let me get a D League contract. Watch what I can do. You know what I mean? Yeah, it'd be like Nate Robinson. Oh, but it's not D League anymore. It's the Gatorade League, Leif. Come on, now, you going to tell me you don't like that name? No, I don't like it. Oh, that name is awesome. I, to me, it sounds it sounds like a league you go sign up for in the summer. That's what like it sounds like for me. Yes, that's what it sounds like to me. It doesn't sound like something that's affiliated with an entity, entity like the National Basketball Association. Now, I get, I get the sponsorship. I'm okay with everything else. Putting the, putting the logo on the jerseys, putting it on the court. I'm fine with all that. But to change a fundamental part of the league's name to Gatorade, I just don't understand that. Like you wouldn't call this the National Gatorade Association. 
Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. But at the right price, you'll see. But like you know, developmental league was it's basically the mission statement of that league, that 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 developmental word. You know, the whole point of that league is they've created this. They created this secondary league for guys who maybe teams just didn't feel was worth a draft pick or maybe they spent a couple years in the league and went for one reason or another, it didn't work out at the team they were on. And this is their chance to basically try and make a better impression to NBA teams and to do it in a way where they don't have to go to Europe, they don't have to go to China, they can stay here local make it much easier for NBA scouts to see them. And all these teams are affiliated with NBA teams. So all these guys on on a developmental league team, they're getting seen by some NBA eyes no matter what. And I feel like that was very integral to what the league was, that name. You could have called it the Gatorade Developmental League. I wouldn't have minded that. That's fine with me because the... The English Soccer League, they used to be called Barclays Premier League, but now they didn't they didn't now they don't sell the rights anymore. So it went back to the English Premier League. So if you did something like that, I I might have liked it more. I you just kind of took the mission statement out the name and you call it Gatorade League now. I, know, I still feel the mission statement's there. I still think the development league has a way to go anyway. You're you're looking at it as a development league. A lot of people aren't viewing it that way and granted the, the development league has gotten much better um mm-hmm. i've seen a couple of games on 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 tv it's actually really good it's a decent product it's something that a few years ago you wouldn't expect but it's gotten better but going back to the name i like the name i think the g league well i'll give you that i would i like i like the the sound of g league better than d league that is better like G League. Exactly. It, it sounds better, but the actual name itself I don't like. I don't like what we I do like what we will call it better, but I don't like the name itself. Yeah, the G League, you know. Substitute G for something else. The right. G League. Yeah, it works. I like it. <laughs> if if it flows. So, I can't be mad at it. You know, if it was something, you know, dumb or some other team you know, winning or some other sponsor came in that probably wouldn't have liked it. But the G League, it fits. It rolls. Okay, so I ask you this. If they ever hit a point where they change it to the National Gatorade Association or the Gatorade Basketball Association, would you be cool with that? Hmm, you're trying to, trying to catch me here, huh? I am. I am. I wouldn't care for it because the NBA is is an entity that's been in place for so many years, whereas the Development League hasn't. And the Development League is seeking an identity. So to call it the G League and the fact that it's still relatively young, it's okay. But when you have the NBA, which has been here for years, it's too late to do something like that. I don't know. I, I wouldn't rule it out. I think Adam Silver and the NBA, they're taking a lot of notes from professional soccer leagues. Um, like I said, Barclays Premier League, they were sponsored by Barclays. All these soccer teams have 
sponsors on the jerseys. They've had them for years. And what is the NBA doing? They're getting sponsors on their jerseys. So I, I think it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world if that's the next progression of stuff like this. I think we I think if anything we would be a few years away if that was to happen, but I wouldn't be surprised, especially if they were able to they were willing to do something like this. You never know. Yeah. You never know. Well, it's good talking with you, Leif, as always. Um, you know, as always everybody, thanks for listening. You can uh you can catch us on Twitter at Caldan three eight four, that's me, and you can find Leif at L D B Creations. You can check us out on the main Twitter account at the SL Reporter, and that's where we have all of our all of our news, our notes, our, our article post, podcast links, everything that's related to the sideline reporter. You can find there, and you know, once again, this has been the Pacing Gatorade podcast. So I want to thank all of you guys for listening, and thanks for talking with me, Leif. Absolutely, ladies and gentlemen, stay classy.